Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? Today, we are together for the first time in like, what, 20, 30 episodes? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even remember your face. <laughs> well, I mean, I knew your face, but I didn't know like the rest of your body. We had a long, very nice reunion hug. Mm-hmm. Jose tolerated it. I enjoyed it enthusiastically. I think that after the five-second mark, it was a bit abusive, but sure. <laughs> We're at the Phoenix Hotel in the Tenderloin of San Francisco. Um, Jose's leaving for a few weeks, mm-hmm. and so we thought it would be a nice touch to spend yeah. the evening by the pool and then record in person. So here we are. Yeah, yeah. It's a once-in-a-lifetime COVID, COVID life <laughs> opportunity for us to recording face-to-face. And uh, what did we watch this time? Because this is also like a bit of a one-off kind of episode too. This is one of our special episodes where instead of reviewing a brilliant, dense, intellectual film, we're talking about television. You may have already heard um, Twin Peaks Season 1, Episode 1 and 2 of our podcast. No, no, no. No, it was like uh, Season 1, Season 2, Part 1 and Part 2, and then Firewalk with me. Yes. So four episodes so far about Twin Peaks. Now we are doing the fifth episode of Twin Peaks, where we're breaking season three up into two parts to discuss it. Mm-hmm. So for this episode, we watched the first nine, nine episodes of season three. So nine hours. Of nine hours. Nine hours. And this isn't like 48 minutes, like six feet under. No, no, This no, is no. like 56, 58 minutes yep. per episode. Yeah, it's like David Lynch is not compromising anything. David Lynch He's is not. like every single fucking episode is going to be like just basically a movie. Because I think that actually, when we're talking about this, a short is considered a short if it's below one hour. One hour, I think that is, that is the mark for just being considered like a long feature film. So we watched nine feature-length films almost, for this podcast. Almost, almost, I that, yes. I think that we watched like nine short films. Short, sorry, nine abusively long short films. <laughs> because David Lynch has published maybe what? 40 short actual short films yep. since he retired from filmmaking and they <laughs> were true. they were like eight minutes long 10 minutes long 14 yep. minutes long no no, no he was not holding back here yep. yeah he was yeah. not holding back he was like no 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 i i know what i'm doing here and this was technically your pick i mean we share a love for david lynch yep. but it was your idea to talk about Twin yep. Peaks on this and podcast. the reason actually the reason why i wanted to watch this is because first we loved we love david lynch but second is that you gave up on twin peaks early on when I you did. tried to, give, to, uh, to watch it and second is like i watched it and i felt like a bit torn about the third season and i wanted to watch it again to actually just have like a better understanding you know because it had been like 20 years well 20 years 15 years since i watched the first two seasons so season three aired in 2017 on showtime they Correct. released it basically one episode per week yep. there were a couple exceptions you watched it live right in 2017 almost, yeah, yeah almost live you know like a couple of weeks behind yeah which we were already friends at that point we were yeah I did not watch it. I gave up, as you said, halfway through season two. Uh, and so probably at that point we were even like just talking about cinema, you know, like just doing like our let's watch a movie a week. Uh, you know, more sophisticated art form. Of course. Um, so just to recap, before these podcasts, I had seen all of season one, half of season two. You had seen everything. Yep. Okay. Yep. But it had been like a really long time, and it's like now that you see it, is that there is no introductions, there is no like, if you was like a Netflix show after the first season, the second season is they have like a five minute summary about like what happened on the previous season. 
there is no summary here. The only three seconds of summary is basically like Laura Palmer saying, like, and you will see me in 25 years. <laughs> and that's it. That's the only thing that it actually connects, you know, like Firewall with me and, uh, and uh, these two first seasons of Twin Peaks with this 25 years later. So it's like, unless you haven't rewatched everything, it's like half of what is happening there is, it makes no sense. So I will say that you've commented to me that while you watch season three, a lot of it didn't make sense because you hadn't recently watched season one and two, and yep. this time around we're watching it one fell yep. swoop. Yeah, like the names made sense at least. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as I think that, you know, in this special, the last one, it was Firewall with me and I summarized that. Now it's your turn to <laughs> summarize, <laughs> try to summarize that, yeah. I, I, yeah, I completely get it because I will be saying the same thing to you. So, honest to God, this has been stressing me out. I don't know how to summarize the first nine hours of season three. Um, mm -hmm. As Jose mentioned, we pick up the story 25 years later. Mm -hmm. There is a scene that is so satisfying to me where Laura Palmer says, in season two, I won't see you again for 25 years. I don't know how David Lynch made that happen, where he actually made season three happen 25 years later, but it just feels perfect. Yeah. Um, so it we, fits into this weird wall. It does. It, yep. it, it, everything feels so weird, including David Lynch's ability to predict the future. <laughs> um, so to summarize, we join up with basically almost everyone 25 years later. Obviously, a lot has happened. Um, at the end of season two, spoiler alert, we understand that Cooper, Special Agent Cooper, sacrificed what I'm guessing is his soul to save Annie and he he agrees to stay in the Black Lodge and he's been stuck in the Black Lodge for 25 years I don't know if he actually agrees but let's just say that he stayed there he yeah. stayed there um, so Bob has has been inhabiting Agent Cooper's body in the real world and he's become some sort of like kingpin criminal like lord I think that we mentioned this on a Firewall with me when they go to this room and they are like just dancing and the girls get half naked. There is a, for me, it's just basically the, the page mode version of a Kimpi. There is a, you're bad, <laughs> but you're like cool bad. It's sexy bad. And it's Firewall. okay, these girls are underage because it's so beautiful. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's, it's just being cool. You know, you cannot blame me on that. So again, we pick up, um, we pick up at this 25 year mark. Agent Cooper's been in the Black Lodge. Cooper's body has been in the real world with Bob. Bob is supposed to return to the Black Lodge like he does every year, and something happens in the real world. Every year? That's what I understand, is that he's supposed to check in. So let me preface this by saying, all of this is subjective. There's nothing objective in this series. Mm, well, I mean, I think that he actually mentions that he's like, I was supposed to go back after 25 years. Almost okay. like there was some kind of checkpoint about, like, okay, you can go into the real world, but 25 years later, you aspire. And I would happily admit that I missed that detail because there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, details. Yeah. So regardless, Bob in Agent Cooper's body is supposed to return to the Black Lodge, but something happens so that he can't or he doesn't want to. At the same time, oh my god, I don't even understand how to explain this. The arm, which was played by uh, a dwarf in season two mm. and, and season one, yep. he tells Agent, the real Agent Cooper in the Black Lodge that he's allowed to leave, but the fact that Bob didn't come back causes some serious issues. 
So what happens is Agent Cooper ends up leaving the Black Lodge, but he enters into the wrong body, the body of Dougie. Yeah, basically that that body was created. I mean, I don't think that there is like a full explanation to that, but it's like a homunculus, you know, it's like it's a imitation of human living. There is like basically the doppelganger uh, Cooper created it for just when this moment of 25 years later comes, that is a he actually Cooper goes back to the real world, but he doesn't comes back to his body. That he actually goes back yeah. to somewhere else. It was a trick. Yep. It was a trick that wasn't supposed to happen. Yep. And so while we're supposed to see the return of Agent Cooper to his body in the current time, we actually see Agent Cooper leave the Black Lodge, go to this very pathetic like <laughs> insurance claims adjuster. Yeah. Um who is living in Las Vegas and is in a what we assume is an unhappy marriage. We see him immediately sleeping with a prostitute. Um, we see the evil Agent Cooper. There's all of these exchanges of souls and everything is messed up. And so long story short, the good Cooper enters Dougie. Dougie happens to be a shell of a human being. He's not fully evolved. He can only repeat things that he hears other people see. Yep. Evil Cooper continues to try and achieve whatever he's achieving. And then there's a third Cooper, right? There's the Cooper in the Black Lodge. No. So there's just the two performances. Yeah, there's, there's just two. Okay. There's just two. I mean, they repeat a lot like that I seen on the last episode of the second season when uh, the doppelganger of Cooper just follows the other Cooper and he's uh, just laughing next to, uh, to Bob. But it's like once the good Cooper leaves the Black Lodge, it's like there is no other Coopers. At least, at least until now. No, 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 you're correct. And yeah. then I'm trying to, to to try and figure out how to explain what happens next. The the good Cooper, he's trying to leave the lodge and he he enters several different dimensions where these there are oh, these God. creepy characters, like a woman with her eyes shown off, uh, sewn shut. Did you like that I see? Well, I did, goes, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was that is like, It's not like continuous, that it goes up and then it goes backwards, you yeah. know, like a bit, like there are like some jumps, yeah. And and they leave this woman with her eyes sewn shut and the Agent Cooper leave this room where they're trying to flee this monstrous knocking sound and then all of a sudden they're in space and the eye, the woman with the eyes sewn off, sewn shut, yep. jumps into space and this relates back to a specific sentence that Laura Palmer said in season two about how jumping through space would cause someone oh. to incinerate. Yeah, that was in Firewall with me. Yeah, yeah that you wouldn't uh, yeah, stop. not yeah. season two. So um, immediately we see that David Lynch is completely intent on building not just on the world he created with season one and two, but also Firewalk with me, which I think very few people saw, only the diehard fans. Mm -hmm. So from this point, I'm, I'm not going to try and describe what happens, but <laughs> thanks to Evil Cooper, Good Cooper, as well as uh, the FBI agent played by David Lynch, mm -hmm. um, were taken Gordon. on three or four separate journeys where we're reintroduced to most of the characters of the original series, yep. um, and we see them 25 years later. So these are the same actors. They've clearly aged. Uh, we see how their characters have evolved, not because we see any flashbacks or anything, but just there based are no on the way flashbacks in Twin no, Peaks, there are no none. But I mean, like in, in Twin Peaks as a whole, there are no flashbacks. Correct. Yeah. So we see um, what was the name of the Lucy? No, no, no. The waitress in Sally, Norma. Not Norma, the younger one. Norma. Not Norma. Oh, Nadine. 
No, not Nadine. The the one that had the abusive husband. She was fucking Bobby. Shelly. Shelly. Yeah, sorry. You said that. I didn't hear you. Um, so we see all of them. Just based on conversations, we're, we're to understand different things like Bobby. Not Bobby. Uh, the, the name of the motorcycle kid who got in an accident. James. James got in an accident. James was always cool. James was always cool. <laughs> which I think... Was David Lynch speaking about Twin Peaks? Oh, it doesn't matter how it's changed. This is always, always been cool. cool. Um, so there's a lot of really, really cool moments of like remembering what happened, of nostalgia. Um, I honest to God don't know what else to say about this. I mean, there's so much that no, happens in nine hours. Yeah, so no, I, I agree. I mean, it's like it's not even like nine hours, you know, because. I can actually summarize like other shows that they are like just nine hours total and it'd be like way more linear. But the problem, I mean the problem, I don't think that it's a problem, but it's a bit more like the formula that Twin Peaks uses is that there is a lot of actors and actresses and a lot of stories that they work parallel to each other. They all have like their own leaf motif, you know, like their own like kind of things that there is going on. You didn't mention Dr. Amp. That is Dr. Jacoby. Because there's too much, too yeah, much but to mention. It's a story that it, must, it doesn't make like too much sense up to this point. You know, is that he actually has like these shovels that he just gold painted, gold sprayed, and he's trying to sell online. In a very methodical way that makes no sense, but it's so captivating to watch. And it takes 10 minutes every single time that he's on the screen. You know, when it he does. was like with the showers, he's like, why does it require 10 minutes? I agree, and so let's let's say that we've only watched half of season two. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions that have been asked without answers given. Yeah. I'm very excited to see what answers are given in the second half of the season. Um, you and I were very careful to avoid chatting with each other. <laughs> sure. About this, uh, about the about season three until this evening, and we were just swimming mm -hmm. in the pool of our hotel, and we couldn't help but discuss a little mm -hmm. bit. And I I said to you that. I think this might be my favorite thing David Lynch has ever done because I almost feel like this is free association about what's happening in David Lynch's head. So there are, there are episodes that are very dark and very plot focused and then there's like episodes that are 100% abstraction and you have to work super hard to figure out how this connects to the episodes that are very plot driven. Hey, this is what's happening happening literally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. And we talk about, like, episode 8. Episode 8 is, like, I think that is from this first batch of episodes. is like the crown, you know, that you will in the crown. That is, like, this is visually impacting. It's like, you spend a bit of time thinking about, like, what you're watching. It's like, he's critical or, you know, like, a, a cornerstone for the mythos of the world that is depicting, you know. And I think that is, like, that's gorgeous. And as I was telling you earlier, is that there is 10 sentences. On the whole episode, after seeing Nineties Nails, seeing Nineties Nails like performing in 2017, that is like 17 years later from the last time that you should see, you should see like Trent Reznor performing live, is like at that point, it's like everything is amazing. It's like wow, that's incredible. I could just watch this almost independently from everything else. And it's a masterpiece, these 30 minutes or 40 minutes. So we could spend 90 minutes just going into to episode 8 because it's incredible. Um, one, of, one of the very nice touches of season 3 is that the Bang Bang Bar, which is where Laura Palmer used to go to make terrible decisions, it was a very seedy bar full of disgusting people. 
in season three, it's been rebranded into a very cool hipster place that has like consistently excellent music acts. I would actually say something. I don't know if you remember in the first season, there is, I think there is at the end of the pilot, it actually ends with a band playing at the Bam Bam Bar. Uh, season one, episode one? I think so, yeah. But I... it's not the first time that we actually see one episode on Twin Peaks before this, because every single episode, it has, well, most of the episodes they close with a live bar, a live performance there. But uh, in the first season, there was one episode, probably the first one that it actually closed there too. So it was probably something that he had in mind, that the villains had in mind, and it was just put, you know, like just closing that. And I think that the, the benefit of 25 years beyond a, a season two, you have kind of the best talent in Hollywood willing to participate. Yeah, and he also is like a, he became like a renaissance man. He okay. has like a musical career too. He does. So. I bought his album of electronic oh, music and it's incredible. Um, there are just so many nice touches I felt that both connected to the, the nostalgic aspect of seasons one and two from the early 90s including um, the two goofy law enforcement uh, Andy and Lucy Andy and Lucy which to be honest feel a little bit like they don't belong in, in Twin Peaks season three they're kind of the parts that feel like hey Twin Peaks has evolved and these two have not well, because all of Twin Peaks is actually still like stuck in time. When you look at the characters, is that they are still the same people. They uh, are, but I feel like uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost, their visual language, the sophistication of their storytelling has gone through the roof. And they're trying to connect it with this kind of quirky humor. I think that everything that happens on, uh, on Twin Peaks is actually purposefully feeling dated. You know, even like the stories that they happen on the uh, Grand North Hotel with Ben Horn and the, uh, and the assistant brother. that is, well, the brother is like just getting high, you know, but it's like with the assistant that they are like just looking and say, oh, here's something, let's go here. Is that is it still Ben Horn? Is it still the Ben Horn that we know? Is that nothing has changed? Is that with Hawk, um, well, the, the sheriff, the sheriff is true that the actor has changed, but it's like, is the brother. That I think that the brother was mentioned in the original show. I don't, I don't know. There's so many details to keep track of, yeah. but I'm sure there's so much in the script yeah. that I'm missing. Yeah, but it's like even when you look at the uh, double R uh, diner, is that the German uh, waitress? The Swedish still there? one. The Swedish. And yeah, she's yeah. still like, just laughing at everything. You know, it's like, that's your thing. You are that. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing that you can do. Is that the characters are still all the same. And I think that he's like purposefully doing that. And purposefully saying like, Twin Peaks has remained completely stuck in time when the rest of the world it has actually just become like worse and worse because everything that you see aside there is like it's just terrible i would agree and i think that david lynch has a fascination um and tell me if you disagree but he likes to take times that he considers are innocent and he likes to examine the moment no. where they're corrupted and no. i think he explores this so brilliantly because you're right, Twin Peaks is stuck in time, but there's a new generation coming up that's darker and more sophisticated oh, and yeah. more fucked up. Yep. And I think that he uses that to elevate the content of this, to take it so far. It's so elevated in moments, and then he rips you back into these like quirky comedy moments with the original characters. Um, 
that. How do you feel about the scene when they are like just looking into the uh, uh, records of the investigation of Laura Palmer and it's like Lucy and the and Hawk? And, it's uh, hilarious. That that part of the God, this is partially so wrong and at the same time like so on point when it's like, but you are Indian. <laughs> yes, I know. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. I, I loved it. I loved um, I loved so much about this series, uh, this, uh, the first nine episodes, and I was telling you that I feel like this is just free association. We get to see whatever in David Lynch's mind, and sometimes David Lynch's mind is extremely dark, and sometimes it's very corny comedy, yep. and he brings it all together, and some episodes are completely dark and abstract, some are quirky and slow, some are quirky and fast-paced, um, but I didn't care at all that there were pacing issues or or moments where he was clearly trying our patience watching Dougie who is a shell of a human being he spent like three episodes I think forcing us to watch him but there like were, something like really really slow everything that he does but yeah. there were moments of like like comedy genius I felt that um, I this was work to watch it's not easy to watch you can't watch this I think without watching both season one, season two, and the movie. Um, but it's so, so, so worth it, I think. And I I think I told you this earlier when we couldn't stop talking about this. This may be my favorite thing David Lynch has ever done, ever. I'm going to be like waiting until we complete it. You know, that's the weird part because it's true. After like watching it once, it's like it's true that I know that he's going somewhere. It's pretty clear that he's going somewhere. Is that you can just see some parts, as you were saying, that they are like some scenes that they are extremely drug. But they're they're drug for a reason. That's why I feel, you know, even if I watch it already once, it's like if it's like no one disrespects his audience in this kind of way. It's like he is not Lars von Trier. You know? Is that you expect that he's going somewhere, that he's trying to make a point. But the problem with the format or just trying to do like an 18-hour movie that there is a point coming on is that it's not like the touring horse the touring horse is painful to watch three hours for having an emotional payoff at the end of the three hours but at least you remember when you started watching those three hours with 18 hours there is no way that you're going to be like watching this on a single fucking day so <laughs> when you actually try to make some kind of point about like okay i'm dragging this and then i just having like the contrast with this it just feels it just feels hard to me to actually just say, it's like, okay, is this like truly elevated or are you just trolling me? Do you want me to answer that question? Because I will. It's I know, you already, you already answered it. It's like you actually consider it that this is elevated. And I'm not saying no. I'm just saying that it's like, I know where this is going. And it's like, I appreciate, but it's like at the same time, it's like, it's so hard. I don't want to give away too much, but it's, like, it's so hard to do like something like this over the span of 18 hours that I don't think that he fully succeeds at it. You know, if you actually were to do like, and we haven't watched it, and I would be down to watch it like Fanny Alexander over eight hours, you know, and we can just record it a single episode on this. It's existing like an eight hours of a story that it starts, has like just three ads or whatever, you know, and it ends. Is like on this one we have like a lot of stories that they are like just not really intertwined because most of them they are not intertwined. Is like everything that we see on the Bam Bam House is not intertwined with anything. It's just a bit more of a tidbits of 
Hey, hey remember sister. this? Remember these characters? Yeah, James used to be cool. James yeah. always was cool, you know? Or we see this Richard Keith. Yeah. That is a, he's there and he's abusing of a girl, but we never see, like, anything else from that part. Is Did just... you catch that the, the Richard kid, the drug dealer he was dealing with, the actor is Balthazar Getty, who played half of the main character in Lost Highway? Oh no, I didn't realize that. I didn't okay. either. He looks so different. Yeah. But I just love that there are these details where he brought together the entire Lynchian world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, like the guy that is on a on a high rise or something like that, like just with his laptop and just like all serious all the time and just checking the phone and he has the assistant, you know, has to sell like some money or something. It's like you should never mingle with someone as dangerous as Cooper. He's like he's the guy from Mulholland Drive. And in Mulholland Drive, he's the one that goes behind the, the cafe. Mm -hmm. And we're introduced to this incredibly creepy character mm -hmm. that we see those characters consistently throughout yep, this. Yep, those guys that they're like, it's not really blackface, but... It's like a, an offensive depiction of homeless people, almost. Yeah, I was, I was thinking a bit more like minors, but sure. <laughs> you know, I was trying to go like with the polite version, but sure, yeah. Um, I, I had to say that it's like, overall, I really like it, but I also think that he depicted it in a way... And I know that we joke about this, about like the Golden Globes, considering it as a, as a movie, I think. And I was like, okay, it's hard to watch an 18-hour movie. No one is going to be like watching an 18-hour movie. Let's be realistic. But at the same time, it's like he portrayed like things that they don't come together yet. He said, like we can see like them going somewhere. But we don't know where. There is no payoff still. And most of the shows, most of TV, is that they even like just Twin Peaks by itself, is that they were like just below the idea. Twin Peaks had this format of every single day, sorry, every single episode was one day in Twin Peaks. I, I hear what you're saying. I disagree. I think there were a tremendous number of payoffs throughout, throughout the first nine episodes, and it was so worth it. And we did talk about. Um, Turin horse. This wasn't the same. I had to work so hard to get a payoff I found satisfying. This I had to work, but I found the payoffs so generous if you're paying attention. Tell me a couple. I'm just super curious about that. Um so we mentioned episode eight, which is completely abstract. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's independent from anything else, mostly. Completely independent. It, it's it doesn't even address the plot of the rest of the nine episodes at all. It's just, hey, here's an origin story, and you're going to be expected to spend, what, six or seven minutes of screen time in the mushroom cloud of an atomic blast and try and figure out what this means? Like, that to me is transcendent. Episode eight is transcendent. I found the fact uh, that when we were introduced to Diane... Uh, which we never met in season one, two, or Firewalk with me. Yeah, we basically idealized Diane. We did, but we also were introduced to this character played by Laura Dern, who has made a career based on grounding David Lynch's ideas into like real human emotions. And she has so few scenes, but they're so satisfying and so nostalgic and heartbreaking and sad. And you can tell something happened to her when Cooper disappeared. Yeah. And we never even addressed something happened to her, but Not you yet. know it's... No, yeah. So but is that going to be addressed? Spoiler maybe, there. maybe, okay. maybe. But uh, do you feel like it's, for example, like just very uh, wholesome? 
like the scene when they are in Backhorn and Diane is smoking outside and then Tammy and Gordon go outside and they have like just one minute of not talking with each other. Not that particularly. <laughs> I was a little bit confused because the sound went out. I don't know if you noticed, but David Lynch's sound got super quiet and it was like, clearly mm. this was thrown in at the last second. They didn't have time to do like re-records. But uh, so David Lynch's character asked her to interview the evil Cooper that they think is the real Cooper. And she is super antagonistic towards both Albert and... What is David Lynch's character? Gordon. Gordon. Um, she just... All she says is basically, fuck you, Gordon, fuck you, Albert. Yeah. And he said, like, what is your name? Tommy. He said, fuck, fuck you, Tommy. Tommy. But then there's this moment where she does interview Cooper. She goes out and despite being super aggressive towards Gordon... Yeah, I love that scene. Love she cries to him and, and they have this moment that's so tender... And she's like, there's something missing from his heart. There's something that's yeah, not right. Yeah, it does not. And Gordon yeah. says, that's enough for me, Diane. That's enough for me. And you understand there's this deep, deep, deep connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is wholesome. And that throws back to the first uh, few series. Yeah. No, and that, I agree with that. Is like, that's The problem that I have with this, uh, with this season is that there are like those wholesome moments. That is like, this has been amazing. You know, but then there is like some other moments that is like basically David Lynch looking at the camera and saying like, but I can torture you. I can actually just give you those wholesome moments, but you have to put up with these stupid moments that there is no reason for them to actually last five minutes. I disagree with you because I don't think he wanted to torture anybody. I think he wanted to get whatever was in his head out. And that's what he did. And those who are willing to go along for the ride are happy to go along for the ride, and some people True. feel like they're being tortured. You remember uh, that I seen with Andy uh, on the second season, I think that it was on the first episode, or the last episode of the first season, where he actually just uh, steps into this wooden plank, and he just kills himself, <laughs> and he's like just, for 40 minutes, like just doing like the crab dance. It's like, during those two minutes that he's doing that, he's like, there is, he's not adding anything. And there are like several like just cats, when you look at uh, Seric Truman and Cooper, like just like, <laughs> and he's still like just dancing, he's like, he's not adding anything. And at that point he was like, okay, this is weird, this is out of place. But it's like, on this season, there is a lot of scenes like that. That is like, there is no reason, you're not making anything. You're just making it awkward. But again, making it weird. I think that that scene added a tremendous amount of comedy, which he was clearly way more interested in back then. He made us both laugh out loud during that scene. And that's valuable in television. On that one, yeah, but it's again, going back, I was telling you in the pool earlier, when Doggy just turns into Mr. Jackpot, that is since last 15 minutes. It does, yes. Is there any reason for it to actually last 15 minutes? The only reason I can think is that this was something that amused David Lynch. It's not that he was like, I'm going to test your patience and see if you'll stick with me. Okay. He wanted to see that scene and he put it in front of us. Okay. Uh, uh, what about when he's actually just doing the sketches? Do he's like doing the sketches on the uh, on the reports? I will admit that the only time I was frustrated with the first nine episodes was with Dougie. Yes, yep. that's true. But there are some brilliant moments of comedy, and I think we're supposed to, and based on season eight, we're supposed to examine these forces that are completely evil and are completely good and how they go to address themselves, I think it feeds into a, 
Uh, on the mythos, thing. okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but for example, like the scene that I was telling you earlier, when uh, Laura there is smoking outside, and they are like in the forensics room, you know, like just checking Major Briggs' body, that is like unfortunately Major Briggs like just died like 10 years before the, the, the third season. Years. Uh, he died in 2005, no? No, he disappeared like right after Agent Cooper disappeared. No, 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 I mean like the actor. The actor died in 2005 or something oh, like that. Oh, he did? I yeah, he did. That. I mean, that's the reason why he didn't come back. Oh. You know, that's the same thing that Bob is not back. And it's like, it's pretty weird that when he actually looks at the mirror, you know, like doppelanger, and he's like, oh, are you still there? And we actually see like this overlay of the uh, of a face, you know, like saying like, I'm still here. And he's like, but we never had like the conclusion. That's the only part. I mean, from the mythos perspective, that part I don't like it because we don't have like a confirmation that is Bob, the one that actually just came back. And they even talk about like, no, 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 it's Doppelanger Cooper. It's not really Bob. And there is this aspect that I feel is a little bit ris risky, where many, many, many of the original actors came back. Some didn't. Many because they died. We have a brief scene with Log Lady. We know that yeah, she, died she died before the filming. Yeah. Uh, Sheriff Truman, he didn't come back. Some people say because of health issues. Other people say because he retired from acting. David Lynch is not interested in resolving any of these storylines at all. No, it's not the it's not the purpose of this. So I will say that because I suspected there was so much in these episodes that I wasn't understanding, I sought out a ton of television critics and what they wrote about this, and I read many of them, including um, Variety, The New York Times. Uh, those are the two I specifically remember. And one of these critics said. Like, you have to go into this understanding that you will never understand the purpose of any of this. That, like, part of the joy of David Lynch's world is understanding their mysteries that you will never know. And Robin. And I was reminded very much of when I got into the Hayao Miyazaki films, which are for children. <laughs> but you have to go into them understanding that there are some things in this, like, wonderful mystical world that will never make sense. And you just have to enjoy them for their mystery. And that's what I felt about this season is not, not everything is going to make sense, but the fact that I'm along for this like fantastic ride, that's enough for me. I partially agree with that. It's true that Hayao Miyazaki, when it comes to actually his stories, he actually just depicts walls that they may not make complete sense by our standards. But still, he actually narrates stories that as a whole, given like the suspension of disbelief that you have to apply for understanding that world, those stories make sense. With this, it's like, once again, I go back to Dr. Jacoby. So what the fuck is he doing? Yeah, there's not much that we understand at this point through episode 9 about what he's doing. I suspect, because of how much screen time David Lynch dedicated, we might learn a little bit more. Right. Um, I just feel, sorry, let me just interrupt you like real quick. I just feel like there are like some parts of it that they are like just basically based on fan service. Is that I actually I didn't need because the show is actually I think that isn't called like third season, it's called like Twin Peaks the Return. And it's not the return of the show, it's the return of Cooper. Yes. And a lot of the characters. And a lot of the characters, <laughs> but it's like most of the characters is that you could have just nailed them. It's like they, they are not needed. Is that most of it is that you have like the people that they work at the station that's fine. But the double R, the bam bam, is not really needed. They're Everything not needed. I completely agree. But 
part of the joy for me, and I'm saying the joy, yeah. is revisiting some of these oh, characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. even superfluously, 25 years later. I don't yeah. care. I just want to find out what happened to Shelley, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I love that. I love that they have some kind of follow-up to those characters. I think that is great. But at the same time, it's like when it's not on the purpose of the main story, it's like it just feels, at least up to this point, it feels like fan service. It feels like what? Fan service. Okay. You know, it's not really like just for any any ulterior motive. It's not like just building to anything. It's not like intertwining stories. It's not what we used to see in the first couple of seasons. That is like, okay, all characters have something to do with the death of Laura Palmer. I can see that. And I'm, I suspect after the final nine episodes, I may feel very differently. Right now, I'm, I honest to God, this sounds so cheesy. Watching these episodes, I was so grateful that I got to revisit the world of Twin Peaks and just go into David Lynch's mind that I was like, you can do anything and I will go along for this ride with you. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting because you didn't have to wait 25 years. You waited like two weeks from Firewall with me to just continue watching this. But is that there are like people that they actually waited 25 years and they watched it back then and they continue walking it, you know, like watching it now. And I super regret that. I, I hate that I didn't finish season two oh. because I wasn't inter interested in season three. And I might like this more than Mulholland Drive. I don't know. Okay. 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 <laughs> All right. That's fine. Um, I I don't have anything to say to that. That's your call. I'm interested to just see what your score is going to be. Um for me, I think that it's like this is one of those things that I would say is like if you like Twin Peaks, if you like uh, David Lynch. Let me say if you like Twin Peaks season one and half of season two. Exactly, it's yes. what I'm going to say. It's like if you actually appreciated that part, like this is better than the second part of season two, regardless of where it's going or you know like any kind of lack of completing the idea, because you could watch like the first part of the second season or watching like some episodes of the first season, and they're good on its own. They are like just complete stories on each one of them. They may be like just pulling, you know, like pushing some stories forward. But is that some of these episodes on this season, they feel about like, no, we have some reason to be in a larger story. Like the first episode or the first season or the third season, when we see like the New York scenes, like that glass cage. I love those scenes. I love like how it feels like. I fucking love that. I, like, I got how so disturbed. It is, yeah, yeah. I remember like just watching it the first time. It's like, wow, that's super creepy. But then when they actually connect like four episodes later, and we see like just Cooper like flooring back into reality before they come back into the room, it's like, so that's for that. It's for actually just uh, monitoring like the edge between like those dimensions and our reality. Again, I don't completely disagree with you, but I think we get into this bigger mythos where we're understanding, hey, if you're to believe David Lynch, the introduction of the atomic bomb freed certain evil spirits and also uh, required the, the pure, innocent, protective spirits like Laura Palmer, like Agent Cooper to come into this world. I find that it fits very, very well into the entire narrative of oh, yeah, yeah. the David Lynch yeah. universe. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's the thing, is that this season expands the mythos in a very smart kind of way of this world. You know, it's not only about, like, for example, like Firework with me, it was, like, way more self-contained. It was a bit more like, we want to just give you, like, the last week of these characters. Mm -hmm. 
and that's it. On this one, it's like actually, it's like, hey, look, we know that you want more of Twin Peaks, that you want to hear more about what Twin Peaks is about. We're going to be like expanding it to other places that you didn't know about. Yes, and and again, that's something that I value is that we see we revisit the vast majority of these characters 25 years later, but we also, as you put it either before the recording or on the recording, we understand the origin story. And yep. we understand David Lynch's motivations for all of these characters, I think. Regardless of whether you think their screen time is justified or not, you get like, oh, this is what is going on in David Lynch's head. True, true for the overall kind of the Twin Peaks mythos. But when we actually think about like characters, and I'm sorry to bring it again, like Dr. Jacoby, is that we still don't understand anything about that character. We don't understand why Nadine is like listening to Dr. Jacoby. So you have seen season, the last part of season three. Don't give me any spoilers, but are answers given based on that storyline that we're given so little in the first nine episodes? I would say that it goes somewhere. If it actually connects with everything else, or is a bit more of a standalone story that it could have been released like a 15 minute short, that's a different topic. So I will say that, um, I have desperately missed David Lynch as a filmmaker. Um, I have stayed up to date on the many, many short films he's released. They were all, without exception, completely unsatisfying to me. Whereas I felt like, okay, some of this doesn't work, but in the context of Twin Peaks, it is satisfying. And I'll, I'll bring the, the vignette of Laura Palmer's mother... And oh, yeah. she's only in one episode, right? Of, yeah, of the first like watching episodes. like this to be on the room. She's just in her depressingly, like, average house. It's the same house. It's no? the same house, but it's, like, depressing in terms of, like, okay, this is very basic. Um, not basic, it's just very middle class. Um, and she watches an incredibly graphic pride of lions take down, like a... Like a, like a cell. Or a yeah. gazelle or something. But it's so graphic... And she, I don't even think she has any lines. We just watch her kind of react to this horrific thing she's watching. And that doesn't connect to any of the nine hours we watched. But it was so, it does. But it was so powerful to watch. And understanding this is Laura Palmer's mom. I was like, show me more of this. I don't care if it makes sense. Yeah. Show well, me more. I mean, but that, that actually just connects to the episode eight. That is a, yeah. you know, like from the perspective of like what Bob and Laura represents. But in terms of what you're saying, like a cohesive oh no no it's not is that you actually yeah. just define it like completely right that is like we actually see vignettes yes. we see like a lot of vignettes some of them they are like continuation of previous vignettes some vignettes are going to be like going somewhere else but some are completely know standalone yep yep it's like there's no way of knowing <laughs> and that's the part is like I just feel like it's a bit unfair to actually just talk about this just at this point. I agree, and I actually messaged you today, and, and we really didn't discuss any of this before today. I said, hey, why did you pick episode 9 to stop? And it was just because it's, it's the it's middle. It's hours. <laughs> uh, and I'm very glad that we got one episode beyond uh, episode 8, because episode 8 is very, very, very intense. Um, yep. Episode 9 represents a return to the actual plot that we're seeing, with like the murder investigations, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I felt like episode 9 grounded us. I might have been a little bit less satisfied if we talked after episode 8. Um, but again, 
I'm just grateful to be on this ride with David Lynch. I, I think it's brilliant to have a look into his mind. Yeah, no, I agree that it's like, it's exactly what you said, it's a ride, it's an experience, it's not really like a TV show, it's the most TV shows, it's a bit more of an entertainment thing that you're going to be like just binge watching. Is that this is something that you can binge watch, but it requires more of your patience, more of your dedication to it than actually just something that just plays on the background where you are like just checking Reddit. There were a couple of times that I was just checking Reddit or something because there are like so many scenes that they drag for so long and then there are other scenes that is like, no, those three seconds are what matters. Yeah. Is that, that that's what they give you like the, you know, like the gist of what is going on here or you know it gives you like this kind of perspective because i think that there is like a bit of perspective that the villainist tries to give about like the american reality you know like going back to blue velvet and the likes is that he wants to give like this everything is fine like what was the name of the actor from the park trail so from the uh from the uh oh, trail park the trail park owner from firewalk with me oh uh stanton stanton herbie stanton let me see. Harvey Stanton. Yeah. Well, that actor, that he's on the park, you know. Most of the scenes that he's seen is like there is no real importance to them, you know. But it's like he's just trying to be like a bit more like, hey, I'm old. I'm just from a different generation. I mean, my generation is that like things were different. And he just sees like this family, you know, like the mother and the kid, like just running after each other. He smiles about like how wholesome this is. And of course, the kid just gets run over by a giant truck 30 seconds later. And I do think this is a, a, a closer examination. So what, what I think is David Lynch is obsessed with the loss of innocence. He yeah. clearly feels like America lost its innocence in the 50s. So there's a lot of these films. This plays out extensively in the second half of episode eight. Um, I don't know where I was going from here. I will say that this is as graphic in terms of gore that I think I've ever seen David Lynch do. Do you disagree with that? No, I disagree. I just tried to think if there was anything as graphic as this. And I think that David Lynch is not the most graphic when it comes to violence, per se. He's not. He, he shies away from it, to be honest, I think. Yeah, he, well, but he actually just builds up the context for violence, but he never executes on it. He actually just builds like the fear of violence instead of actually just seeing like shooting and just mutilating someone. He, in my opinion, he's been much more interested in sexual violence, like in Blue Velvet, uh, in Mulholland oh, yeah. Drive, when he forces... Natalie, not Natalie Portman, um, the actress you mentioned you really liked, when he forces her to masturbate on screen and she wasn't oh, no, supposed to be, yeah, yeah oh, she yeah. wasn't supposed to be crying in Mulholland Drive, but it was so difficult to shoot. Like, that has been his interest, but there is a decent amount of actual gore, like people being cut up to death or, uh, oh, yeah. which yeah. is, a, a, it was a striking in how different it has been from his other things. Yeah, I felt like, uh, like he went all in that there is no censorship. It's pretty cool that it's pretty clear that Showtime like, just gave things like, look, do your thing. So the New York Times has an entire, um, I don't know what you would call it. The like, Sheer? Yeah, basically of Twin Peaks. You can just say, hey, show me everything you've published about Twin Peaks. And I used it to find uh, episode recaps. But in like 2015, there was an article that was posted that Twin Peaks remake 
uh, canceled because David Lynch backed out. And I have to imagine those conversations with Showtime, he, I'm guessing he basically said, you're going to let me do exactly what I want or I'm yep, out. Or I'm doing. And yep. he clearly won that argument. And I don't think he probably had any censorship. He just did whatever he wanted. Oh, yeah. So the fact that this is pure David Lynch, it just makes me love it even more. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's like... Maybe in some sorts, maybe he has like, you know, an uncensored perspective of what he's doing. But maybe from a eraser head, he has never been so unleashed. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah, the eraser head was a bit more that, look, this is my thing that I'm doing like in the most indie kind of way. And then he was a bit more like self-constrained or, you know, like just the studio's constrained. But it's like if you, com- if you compare this with Wild at Heart. Is that what I heard? Is that okay? You have like some points that they are okay, but it's not so wild as this, you know. And we know that uh, a lot of the decisions made in his past films, he's been very vocal about him having to make artistic concessions because of funding. Like, yeah. Clearly, he didn't have to do any of that here. Yeah. I have to say that I, there are like some scenes that I found like super disturbing uh, that I really like. Like the one when he goes to this, it's not really like a brothel house, but he takes these siblings with him. Ray, Ray and... Uh, I don't remember the name of the girl. But the girl, when, when he actually goes back to the motel and the girl is like just in underwear, laying on the bed, and he was on the phone with Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, oh, Daria. are you going? Dara? Daria. I Daria, think. yeah, mm-hmm. Daria. And they start like just talking, and he, you know, like I'm a lag line, he's just hugging her, but hugging her from the perspective that I'm not going to be letting you go. And she knows that he's going to kill her. He said, that I think is super tense. Like how she's saying, it's like, are you going to kill me? He's like, yes, I am. And how she tries to run away, it's like, that build up of, of tension, you know, but it's true is that that is like a, one of the epitomes of a gore that we didn't see on Levin Lynch before. That he actually shoots her, but here they are, we actually see the death body afterwards. Yeah. It's that like we have never seen something like that. And I will say that after, after Twin Peaks season one and two, I watched an interview with David Lynch. And he was talking about Kyle MacLachlan, and he was saying, well, I picked him because I think he's a very fine actor. I never felt that way until Twin Peaks Season 3, when the distinctions between Dougie and the evil Cooper, like, that's somebody who understands two different characters and performs them so differently. You might disagree with me, but I saw two different people on the screen, and I was super impressed. So you didn't feel like that way with Showgirls? I didn't feel that way with Showgirls. I wasn't, or Desperate Housewives? I wasn't super impressed with Desperate Housewives. Um, I but, remember thinking he was adequate for Blue Velvet, but I was like, this is a new actor, he's figuring things out. Well, but I mean, just compare like, Doug, sorry, like uh, Agent Cooper, Dave Cooper in the original Twin Peaks, that is like, probably one of the most charismatic characters ever on TV. And just the beginning of the show, like the Abel Cooper. Yeah, they're so different. Yeah. They are so different. They are like two completely different people. They said the only thing that I'm like just curious, and because I don't remember, is like if we ever get to see the old Dale Cooper. If we see like nowadays Carmen Lachlan acting. I will say that if Dougie never recovers, we never get back to the old Agent Cooper, I will be very, very disappointed. Um, that's not to say if... 
the last half of season three takes a, some interesting direction that I can't conceive of yet. Um, I can tell you that you cannot conceive where this show is going. You can't. All right, but I I need original Agent Cooper to make an appearance. I do need that. Okay, you do. I I want it. Yeah, yes. I know, I know. I wanted to. Um, do you have other questions? I hope that you have them open. I do have them open, which I've never done this before. So, <laughs> would you watch it again? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I say that from the perspective because I think that uh, this is one of those things that I realized my mistake of watching it without watching it uh, like the two previous seasons beforehand. And now that I watch it again, it's like I know that if in 10 years in the future I say that, oh, you know what would be cool? Watching Twin Peaks The Return again, <laughs> it's like I will have to watch the second part of the second season again. Honest to here. God today, today is when I finished episode 9, I thought how soon can I watch all 30 hours <laughs> to get back to what I experienced in episode 8. Like, I was like, I want to experience this again. I was so curious if you would like that part or not, because it's like, there was like a part of me, it's like, this is so dumb that they're like stretching it out when the guy like just going to the radio station, he's like, the wall, sorry, what was he, like the... This is the water. This is no, the this, is, this the water. is the well. This is the well. Drink, Drink deeply, deeply. And, uh, yeah. something. And he's like, he's... It's giving me like goosebumps right now, you know. It's like he's so fucking away. disturbing, you know. But it's like at the same time, he's not doing anything. It's like it's just a sentence of a guy that he had like his face painted. But it's like he's so. It's exactly what we're saying. Like he can create creepiness and disturbance on stuff that he shouldn't be. I, I. With elements of regular life. I told you this before. Like I finished episode eight, and my husband was upstairs, and I ran upstairs, and I made him watch the last half. of What do you think? Uh, he, was he, like, was, <laughs> he was very nice. I don't think he was impressed visually with the, no. the atomic explosion. Um, but again, he couldn't appreciate it. He couldn't appreciate that because he didn't watch the 30 hours that led up to it. And I told him, look, I'm sorry you have to be patient with me and my enthusiasm. <laughs> you won't get this unless you watched Twin Peaks Season 1, Season 2, Fire Walk With Me. And uh, they the say last that was, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, would you watch it again? 100%. Yeah, right. I, if I could achieve the emotional satisfaction I got today, I would watch it tomorrow. Yeah. But I think I'm going to have to wait at least a year. Yeah. Uh, so would you recommend this? <laughs> That's a freaking hard question to answer because I would I recommend it once again, it's like we go that it's like this is not built from the ground. It's like this is not like one of these Netflix shows that you watched a year ago and then in five minutes they summarize everything that you watch. It's like this actually requires to know who these characters were. It's like, for example, I didn't remember the first time that I watched this season, I didn't remember about Shelly. And when we actually see her, because physically she's not like the Shelly that we remember, because 25 years have gone yeah. through, you know, and she was like this sweetheart. And she went through Nip Tuck in between. Of course, yeah. yeah. yeah so. Oh, she was in Nip Tuck? She was, she was the blind girl oh, who God. dated it. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, and clearly, clearly she went also through real life Nip Tuck too. So, uh, they're like characters that you don't remember, is like, for example, when I see like, oh, that's James. He has always been cool. Was James? Does she come back in the second half? I don't remember. Okay, and I probably hope she doesn't does matter. because it's super satisfying. Amanda Seyfried plays her daughter who uh, is addicted to drugs and has a bad boyfriend, which revisits the theme from season one and season two about wait, corrupting wait, 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 wait. youth. Amanda Seyfried is the daughter of Shelley. Yes. 
Yeah, but it's not James. The father is not James, no? No, no, no. I just said that she has a daughter, and the daughter is dating some low. Oh, gotcha. I thought that you were like just connecting no. with James. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's almost, it's almost like just looking at Sally when she was younger, and she made the bad choice of going with Leo. Yeah. The Leo, we assume that he's dead. He has to be dead. I yeah. hope he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you would recommend this, but with a lot of caveats, like, hey, you need to watch thirty hours of Twin Peaks to get willing, here. If you're willing, I mean, I recommend it to you. It's you like did. I recommend it. That is like, look, I think that you're going to like this because it's like really out there. This like really Lynch, one hundred percent. This is one of the best things you've ever recommended to me. I'm, wow. I'm not okay. gonna lie. Right. No, that's good to hear. Would you recommend it to anyone? 100%. With the same caveat is you're not going to get this at all if yeah. you haven't invested the time. Yep. So, this is an interesting question. Will you remember this? I mean, I watched it like, what, two, three years ago? I remember maybe 30% of it. So, I'm going to say the answer is no. And the answer for me is absolutely not. I will not remember these details <laughs> at all. Like, none of them will I okay. remember. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. So you don't... Not even... I'm not talking about, like, giving the details. Who do you remember episode 8? Honest to God, do you think, like, I'll remember that, like, Bob came out of an atomic explosion and then, No, like, no, no. Oh, we go wish. into, like... No, you wish. It's like Bob came of the throw-up of an evil creature that came from an atomic explosion. There's no way I will, I will remember these details. Okay. I will remember the emotions I felt. I will not remember the specifics. No. Okay. Oh, that's fair. Uh, is there anything artistic about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 110%. Directly. It's like the guy, David Lee's know how to make like something artistic. I want to say that it's like, I don't know what was like the last movie that we talked about. I don't know if it was like their comrades. Yes. There is no something as heavy-handed as like some of the scenes of their comrades. Is that there is some stuff that is heavy-handed, but it's like, it's his style. It's his style, but I would argue that it's like... He elevated the shit out of his style. And you and I, we just came in from the pool. It's super cold, but don't worry, the pool was heated. Yep. Um, you asked me if I liked episode 8, and I said I think it's probably the best thing he's ever done. It's the most artistic thing I've ever seen him do. Yeah, it's pretty conceptual, let's yeah. just say it like that. But also visually, visually, it's oh, yeah. incredible. Visually, visually is what you would expect to see at the moment. You know, about yeah. like this, like it pushing like the envelope, you know, yeah. about like, okay, this yeah. kind of crazy. Or, you know, like what you would expect to see from a, from Bjork in a concert. You know, when they actually oh, have like the biophilia, nice. you know, when we yeah. were to biophilia, it's like the kind of stuff that they were displaying. It's like, that's the kind of organic imagery that I expect to see. Yeah, I, I was so blown away by a lot. Not just episode eight. There was some episodes were a little bit slow but there was a lot that was artistic about how did you feel about like the five minutes where cooper is actually falling through a uh, uh stairs skies i like, like just shaking i loved it i loved that <laughs> entire season like when um he's in that dimension the where he's in a room yeah. and the the woman doesn't want him to leave but they go on the top and they're in space they say, yes flip out I, yeah. I thought it was incredible yeah. uh so is this a timeless piece Yes, I think that is yes, because I think that all Twin Peaks is timeless in a way that, uh, as you were saying earlier, that David Lynch likes to look at the American dream or the American reality and about like seeing how it went wrong at some point. And it's like, you can just look in different decades at this, and you can do the same story. 
you know, and in this case, like he actually tries to say is that when the American dream started like, just going wrong, when the American reality started going wrong, is with the atomic bomb. Is that when we actually did like this crime, this original scene. I agree, and I think he plays very cleverly with um, ideas that are stuck in time. So, for instance, um, Jesus, why can't I remember the name of the the receptionist? Uh, Lucy. Lucy and Andy. They're stuck in the time of the early 90s, and he plays with this like, oh, they have the internet now, and it's a little bit weird. So there are elements that like assign it to a point in time, but ultimately the larger themes of good versus evil, the loss of innocence, uh, you know, loyalty versus like all of that is timeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's totally true. And I have to say something that we haven't mentioned yet, not even in the artistic point, is Michael Cera. How did you feel about Michael Cera? For like those 10 minutes of Michael Cera? I, for the first four minutes of the 10 minutes, I hated it. And then the last six minutes, I is was like, this comedy? is fucking brilliant. Yeah. And I, I laughed. And yeah. I hope that he doesn't appear in the rest because no, it was so sense. perfect. Yep. It's so perfect. Yep. He's like so out of the blue. I love that, it, that moment where he says like, and I have a knowledge that my parents are going to be rearranging my <laughs> my room, childhood bedroom. My childhood bedroom. And he's like, my dharma is the road. <laughs> Your dharma <laughs> is Twin Peaks. It's so absurd it's, that it's, it's like extremely like corny and yeah. stupid. You know that it's like exactly what you would expect of the you know Twin Peaks. Of the original Twin Peaks, yeah. yes. Yeah, but it's like it's it's the contrast once again about like with the original Twin Peaks and this kind of even darker world that he's trying to depict and even more absurd and even more like just pushing for more alternative dimensions that we don't really understand. Like and he's it, not going to be like ever explaining looking at the screen. Again, not to repeat myself, but that's the joy of the show is you get to revisit the corny early 90s comedy and go to these super dark places in, in 20, I guess it was 2017, but it feels very modern. Yeah. Would you turn this into a TV show? Well, into a movie, probably. Yeah, it's a Would fucking you? movie. <laughs> I mean, usually we just turn it around if it's a TV show that we turn it into a movie. Um, yes, I mean, it's a movie, and it's exactly what I was saying. It's like, we... I, I feel like this is unfair to just look only at nine of these episodes, and it's like, I actually... If we ever, if we are still like, just friends ten years in the future, that I hope Fingers that we crossed. are, you know, is that maybe I will actually ask you to just do like 18 hours of just watching this. It's about like, look, let's just rent an Airbnb for 18 hours. We're going to be like watching this. Is that we can in just New do... York? We'll watch that. Go to the cock. Come back. Watch that. <laughs> That's fine, but it has to be like 18 hours. So it's like, okay. We are only going to be like watching this. No phones allowed or anything. It's like we just have drinking coffee and watching this. As you know, as Doogie says, like coffee, it's like that. That's going to be us. He's like just watching this for 18 hours. You'll be like 65. I'll be 40. It'll Probably. Be you know, you're you're still going to be 22 <laughs> as you're now. So I I I think this blends the line between television and movies. I. This transcends what I understand television to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a movie based on our, our definitions, but it, it, this could work as an 18-hour movie. It could work as an 18-hour television show. I, it, I would just spend as much time here as I could. Uh, that's cool. So last question. Do you think that this television show could have been better? Uh, just only watching the first nine episodes, yes. 
Yeah, I know, I know that probably no, we really fun. disagree, but it's like, I just told you that it's like, I would have cut short, like, many, many scenes of these nine episodes about, like, just make it short, you made your points, just move forward. But it's like, I understand, and I know where he's going, that it's like, I, under I understand the point that he's trying to make. So I will say right now, the answer is no. But I will fully be prepared to change that answer after I've seen the last nine seasons. Right now, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm fully prepared to go on this journey with David Lynch. I'm confident in what he's doing. Even the episodes with Dougie where I was frustrated, I was like, no. I, I'm willing to sit with this as long as he wants me to. Again, that could change after we watch the second half. You're going to be fucking mind blown. That's the only thing that I can say. I can't wait. Maybe we can have our podcast of the second season in the pool and then here <laughs> maybe okay so your answer is yes my answer is no at this point at this point okay cool so let's score, score this yes um, this was technically your pick so I'll score it uh, for me this is absolutely a nine right now okay for me, the score, I'm torn between two different scores. One of them is not a scoring. What does that mean? It, mo it means that it's like, I don't think that I'm going to be like completely fair without just looking at the second part. You know, because I know where it's yeah. going, you know, it's like, I know, I'm not, you know, for you, it's like, it's still like an adventure along, you know, ahead. It's like, I know like the main key points and it's like, I I can almost visualize, albeit I don't remember like all the details, it's like I can visualize what my score is going to train to. But it's like at this point, if I have only to look at the nine first episodes, I'm like, uh, I'm going to be unbiased, I'm going to be like pretty biased, and I cannot look at this separately, and I feel like it's almost, you know, for example, if we are like just looking at, uh, at the fall, for saying a movie, and it's like... Tarsen's fall, the fall. Tarsen, okay. Tarsen's the fall. Is that we want to score that movie after the girl goes into a coma and she has surgery? It's like we stop the movie there. It's like score this. It's like I think that they're going somewhere, but it's hard to say where they're going. Yeah, you can't really say it objectively. You've seen it before, but yeah. but try your best. Just episodes one through nine. Okay, I would say because of episode eight, I'm going to be like just bumping it a bit. It would be an eight. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm so interested to see how my reaction to season three changes or maybe doesn't change, but with the last half, I, I'm super excited. Uh, I I would say, and I don't want to just like build too much hype, but I would say that if it actually, from the eight that I give now, you know, after just reminding, you know, like all the contest, because that's the reason why I wanted, I want to watch it again for actually just appreciating this season because of some of the reviews that I said is like if the second part is as good as I remember or the kind of close up and just pay off is as good as I remember this may be like one of the most transcendental things that ever happened on TV. So I might give it an 11? An 11. Probably okay. an 11. Yeah. Probably <laughs> so an 11. Let me ask one last question that avoids any specific spoilers but you told me that I would find the second half of season two. No, season three or season two? No, season two. You said it's kind of muddled, but the final episode is like worth it. The final it. episode is worth it. Would you say the same about season three? The three first, the three last episodes or the two last episodes are, are 
Oh, they give you a spin. They give you a like. Right <laughs> <laughs> okay, because it's actually when, it's actually when, everything comes together about. Okay, I don't want to give away too yeah, much. Yeah, don't yeah, say just leave it out. But okay. let's just say there is a. David Lynch had an idea, and that idea was going to be like taking 18 hours. If it needed to take 18 hours or not, maybe not. But the payoff of that is worth it because of the 18 hours that you were like just building up towards that. Like the touring horse. I was just gonna ask yeah, this one. <laughs> like the touring horse, if it had been like 60 minutes and just having that end, they would have been like, well, that was cool. But it's like with three hours, like, holy shit, but I still spent three hours and I don't forgive it, you know? So I'm gonna ask you to do something we've never done before on the podcast. I would like you, I can't do this. You, I would like you to give me a score right now. <laughs> About what I think For that I'm going to score. Season three, part two, and then I want to see how it would change. I you know would what? say, no, I've changed but my it's, mind. It's, I don't want to. No, do, I mean because I'm going to be like influencing yeah, yeah, you even more. You know, it's Never like mind. I think Bad idea. no, and I think that it's like a bit more like even harder because then I'm going to have to fight myself off. Yep, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> no, so you scored it an eight. I yeah. scored it a nine. I'm happy to have my opinion changed, but I do think this is. Oh, possibly no, no. the favorite thing my favorite thing David Lynch has ever done but at the same time he's like extremely abstract and I love that okay no that's fine it's, it's like a racer head it's like extremely yeah. abstract and it's like for me a racer head is still like a extremely tough pill to swallow because it's extremely abstract yes but at least that's a 90 minute pill oh, <laughs> not that's an true and it's, yeah, it's not like a 9 hour you know and from that perspective I agree that it's like this is fucking risky is that from that perspective is that the reason why I keep it in my head it's like it's super bold that you had done this I was blown away after season 8 I was like he expected not even mainstream audiences showtime audiences to sit through this hour of television and understand something that blew my mind yeah but it's understandable it's not... Have you ever seen a director expect television audiences to understand anything close to this? Name one television show where they showed something like episode 8 and expected to get high ratings. <laughs> but the thing is, like, he wasn't expecting to get high ratings. And Showtime yeah. was not expecting... Showtime didn't give, like, all this money to David Lynch because it's, like, pretty interesting that you see that most of the money goes to special effects because all of the outdoors and all of the sets that we used to see in Twin Peaks they are nowhere to be seen. Is that the Grey North, North Hotel has disappeared? It's just one room. Yeah, it's just <laughs> one <laughs> fucking room. And the out the outdoor shots they use the shots from the the nineties. Well, you know, yeah, so yeah. so it's like from that perspective, it's like all the money it actually goes to the special effects, and I'm pretty sure that it was not like a lot of budget. It was a bit more. It's like, look, we trust you, we give you freedom, but we are not going Don't to be like fuck give. Us over. No, no, fuck us over. <laughs> but it's like, fuck us over as much as you want, because it's like, we don't care about the ratings. We care about you making a name for us. You making, like, two nerd gay bros in the future, like, three years in the future, subscribing to Showtime just for watching this. Which happens. Exactly. I have a Showtime subscription yeah. for this. And uh, uh, me too, but it's, like, it's from the perspective of we... Show, Showtime was just investing on the name. And it's like, and they actually thought that it's like the only way of making this name live to its full potential is just letting David Lynch that just go crazy. This is the budget. You can do whatever the fuck you want with the budget, even if it's like just two girls naked dancing for 18 hours. Dude. That's up to you. So I will say, I just googled the budget, and this film, uh, this series feels very expensive, in my opinion. The budget was 41 million. 
which is a lot. But oh, yeah. the season one episode of Boardwalk Empire was like 63 million. Only so, one episode? One episode. The first episode was 63. Oh, because they were like just building the whole Yeah, they built the set. Okay. So yeah. if you put 18 hours into that perspective, yeah. it's up it's, there, but it's not yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool to actually just see like what was the budget for the first season with inflation, you know, like comparing. There is no need to check in no, it now, no, like no. life. But uh, for me, it felt like the money went to the special effects, to some sets, and then to all the bands that they hire. The bands were incredible. There, uh, are you including like the explosion of cars and things like that in the special effects? Because yeah. all of that felt like there's a lot of money behind this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, there is. But at the same time, it's like it doesn't have like the same feeling as the original Twin Peaks. You know, it doesn't build a city. It's like Twin Peaks is just a set. Sorry, it's a just a collection of sets and a collection of vignettes. It's not really a city that is alive. And there is like this quaintness, this coziness of the world of Twin Peaks that doesn't that exist here. Exactly. It's so expansive. You're in Las Vegas, you're in South Dakota, you're yeah. in DC. Yeah. Um, which is something I had to adjust to. I was like, I want to be in Twin Peaks. Ultimately, I was not, like, I get it. This is awesome. No, it's no longer, it's no longer Twin Peaks. It's like, no. it's called Twin Peaks, but it's like, it's not Twin Peaks per se. It's, it's not like Twin Peaks, I would know. people who used to live in Twin Peaks. That's, that's and what they still is. live in Twin Peaks, and they still live in Twin Peaks, and they still have like their stories in Twin Peaks. But there's also Las Vegas, there's, there's New York, South yeah. Dakota, New York, yeah, 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 it's expansive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's a bit more of a, he took the mythos that he started expanding a bit on a firewalk with me and then just translated it into a reality. A full, fully developed, evolved reality. Yeah. 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 And yeah, he plays a bit more with that on the second part. Oh, God, yeah. I can't wait. Well, uh, I, honest to God, I can't thank you enough for making me watch this. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved it and I can't wait to discuss yeah. uh, the rest yeah. of season three. Yeah, I think that even like when I watched it initially, probably I spanned you a bit about it, about like, have you watched this? Because I think that this is the kind of thing that is abstract and artistically pleasing that you will enjoy. It's exactly my type. Yeah. When it's not about the upper middle class who are miserable. That's this true. is my second go-to. Well, but Naomi Watts and uh, Kaimal Laklan, as a marriage, they're also like just middle class being unhappy in a suburbia. They're like lower middle class. Maybe, I mean, sure. the Las Vegas, quote unquote, middle class, well, it's a little true. bit. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true, you're in Vegas. <laughs> Okay, man. Uh, anything else to say about this? No, this was fantastic. I can't wait to uh, to talk about this more. Cool. Okay. Uh, so to those five, six people, whoever, nine, I think that you told me today, that they are listening to us, thank you so much for listening to us. And wash your hands. Bye.